Hello, we are live. We're live. We're. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to Pencil to Pencil, uh, a live broadcast podcast with your best friends from comics, Jamar Nicholas and Mike Manley. Say hi, Mike. Hey, Jamar. Hello, <laughs> audience. Hello. Hello, audience. Um, to this is our third uh podcast through uh facebook live um we're really enjoying the flow of conversation and also the new uh way for people to uh see us and uh interact so thanks for coming along with us uh tonight we have a very special guest our good friend uh disney uh director of kim possible and other great features chris bailey uh, but right now he's lost in the matrix, <laughs> and I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out where he is. The hazards so of live broadcast. <laughs> this is so live, Mike. It's 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 bleeding. So um, I just really? want to. Oh, I need some napkins. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Hold on one second. This is weird. I'm in my email right now, um, trying to find him. So, hold on one second. Hey, Mike, um, do you want to talk about how you thought last the last podcast went? I I think we're getting a little bit better. It's 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 sort of a little disconcerting in the beginning when you're talking this way because we're used to talking to each other on the phone, um, and this is sort of a different idea of a conversation. I suppose you're not used to like being on camera and talking so it takes a little a little getting used to that um, but it's great to get feedback from people mm -hmm. um and as i asked last week um i asked for people to uh send us comments and questions especially questions because uh i'm really interested in getting the viewers feedback and what they're interested in in listening to a podcast like this. Mm -hmm. Oh, there he is. I got him. Go ahead. So um, if you guys are ready, you know, hey, there he is. Hey. <laughs> hey, Chris. Just like right out of the matrix. <laughs> I know. I know. It's nothing like uh, those last minute problems to break the ice, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. You know, it makes you feel like hey. you're really, you know, like you're like Scotty or something. I know. <laughs> So this. So how are you? Yeah. Good. I got the coolest birthday present. Yo. Oh. It's a Bluetooth phone. I can't. So I take calls on it all day. <laughs> wow. And so do it, people hear that? It really works. People hear that when you open it up. Do people hear that? Uh. Well, no. You. They don't hear it. But um. Because but when you uh. But if you do start the call with that. You know. Then you can. <laughs> then if the call is open. Then when you close it, that ends the call. And it's got. And it's got the little moray thing going on in the middle wow. of everything. Wow. That's that's, and that's does it make you sound like William Shatner <laughs> to your friends? It's hard not to do that. No. <laughs> Still, old friend. <laughs> hey, let me un let me unplug this one back here because I have a browser full of stuff that okay. I want to look at later. Okay. And, and uh, there we go. So everybody, this is Chris Bailey, uh, a master of animation, I would say, um, 
master of the medium um, by this point, right? Wouldn't you say that? You're a master of the medium? I've done a lot. You've done a lot? I don't know. I don't know. I quite like hit that peak I'd like to hit, but uh, but yeah, I've done a lot. Is that milk call hands when you get to the peak? You have milk call hands. <laughs> I don't think I don't think anyone else has climbed that peak yet. <laughs> you risk it real thin. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's great. Um, well, sorry for the technical uh, hiccups, Chris, on your way in here. Um, but you sound good. You sound crisp. Um, I usually do uh, some kind of intros, but uh, we'll just jump right into it. Um, okay. I don't know how much time you have, but um, you good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good for the night. I, I wrapped up with Scooby for the day. Oh, very cool. Well, let's just start there. What do you? What's uh? What's on your plate right now? Well, so I'm in post on the second season of Scooby Doo Guess Who, which is sort of a reprise of the the late 1960s, 70, or I guess it's 73 Scooby Doo movies, where mm -hmm. that we all remember. Everyone our age remembers when uh, you know the Harlem Globetrotters were on as guests and Sonny and Cher and all that. So. How this came about was, I'm gonna back up just a little bit, if that's all right. Yeah, sure. I, was, I was directing an independent movie uh, called Blazing Samurai. That was uh, sort of a takeoff on Blazing Saddles and Mel Brooks was on as a producer. And, and it was telling that, that story, the racial story with dogs and cats in old, in old Japan of a dog that wants to be a samurai. And so he, saves all of his money and he goes on this giant uh, journey and he winds up in Japan to become a samurai only to find it's the land of cats and they're all afraid of him. So he's a dog, <laughs> but he's outnumbered a million to one. <laughs> so uh, so we play the um, the whole racism thing is like a dog cat, you know, parable. Mm -hmm. oh, okay, right, yeah. Was Mel anyway, Brooks gonna do a voice at, on that? Yeah, all? yeah, he did a voice. So I got to direct Mel Brooks and pitching boards. It was all very intimidating and exciting. Uh, but the movie ran, uh, hit a speed bump where the studio, we were just starting animation and ARC, our animation studio in Canada, they went into receivership. And um, so the movie stalled and that stall sort of, you know, things, some disagreements with some of the higher up producers, you know, just, um, uh, I, I don't know exactly what happened, but it reached some kind of impasse and it solved. So I called Warner Brothers and I said, hey, look, I know we've, I've pitched projects to you. We've talked about doing something, some kind of cartoony superhero-y thing, and I'm available. I don't know if I'm available for a month or uh, forever or two weeks, but I'm available right now. And they gave me a project to develop. I did some artwork and, and brought a script writer on and we took it to script. And then my executive producer, Jay Bastian said, well, what do you think about Scooby? And I said, a series? And he said, yeah. He said, I don't know. I said, I watched it when I was a little boy, you know, for the first three years it was on TV, but then I kind of moved on to, you know, older science fiction and, uh, and horror. And I never really thought about it. But, uh, and I told him that and I said, but I'm not saying no. So just let me think about it. So uh, he said, the only requirement or requirement, I guess a limitation they gave me was that they wanted the original costumes and the original designs. So I pitched doing our modern version of the Scooby-Doo movies. And then in terms of style, embracing all those things they did as limitations at the time with the repeating pan and the same plant going back and forth. <laughs> and that, that 
they'll do the same run yeah. and the same walk and sometimes they slip and you can tell which thing is going to animate because it's flat shaded against the background painting. And I said, let's do all those things and embrace it as style. And it'll feel nostalgic in that sense, but because we're modern and I have a modern sense of timing and all that, they'll, they'll feel like they're made today, but it'll just be this ridiculously retro show. So, well, I've never, I haven't thought about Scooby in 50 years. Or, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I just found like jumping back into it, I loved entertaining my, you know, six, seven year old self and uh, getting to know the, you know, the, the cast was just terrific. Uh, Frank, who does Fred's voice in Scooby, he was the original Fred back in the 60s. And, and uh, if you've looked up his credits on IMDb, he's, you know, done just about everything. So was there a Fred in between at all? Did they have somebody? Or was he always Fred? No, he's always been Fred. There was another Scooby. I think it was Daz Butler. And right. then he passed away. And then because Frank is sort of master of a thousand voices, he uh, was like, you know, I can do Scooby. And he became the new Scooby. <laughs> That's great. And there's been multiple Shaggies, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm not. I mean, I know, you know, Matt, Matt Lillard, who does it now, he was, he was Shaggy in the movies. I don't know if there was one in between um, Casey and him. I, I, I'd have to look that up. There's been a few Velmas, and it's Kate Micucci now, who's who's wonderful. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I remember as a kid, I was very, I always really noticed voices, and I remember that first season of the Flintstones when Barney had that yeah Fred voice. It wasn't the Art Carney voice, right? Right. And they would never necessarily show them in order when you would see them on TV and reruns. So <laughs> one day it was like the old Barney voice, and like the first season, and the next day it was the different Barney, and that kind of freaked me out. I know you're like, what the hell happened to Barney? I mean, yeah. Like, we'll see you. <laughs> He was smoking those Winstons, right? That's right. God, I love that commercial. Cartoon characters smoking cigarettes is the coolest thing to me. Oh, that's great. Um, and Chris, how long how long have you been on the Scooby Project? You know, I think it's been um, been about three and a half years now. Wow. Where's so, the, the time go? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So we did two seasons. So it's fifty two episodes. So that's quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, but they're all they're all done now. So like, you know, and it's 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 good because we're all we're all sequestered safer at home in California, as I'm sure most of the country is. There's a few holdout states. But um, uh, post is is a relatively easy thing to do from home. Hmm. So and how's the how's the lockdown? Now, what is your what is your. Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead, Mike. No, no, go ahead. No, I, I think it's gonna, a, we're getting a delay. We're getting a delay. Oh, I was going to ask Chris, how was the quarantine and everything affecting uh, your industry? Well, live action and visual effects has, well, I think there's some visual effects is still going on. I have some friends that are able to work from home, but mm -hmm. uh, live action just stopped. Yeah. You know, just people that I know friends that were, you know, on some TV shows and movies and they were just told to go home. Wow. Uh, so on the good side, animation, because most of us can work from home, they're, they've made accommodations for everybody. Both my kids work in animation. My son's a board artist and my daughter works in production management side. And uh, they're continuing to work from home. So they're in there. They're each uh, two different studios, Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon, respectively. Mm -hmm. So it's kind so, of business as usual in a way. 
Yeah, and then I guess you guys put everything up on a common server so you guys can pull and see what people are doing. And, and That's right. And so since I'm in post, pretty much what I'm doing is, is doing the final edit on shows, calling retakes and approving retakes. So it's a pretty simple matter to, um, I don't know, I forget the program they're using, but I'll get an email with a link and it'll have a link of maybe 20 shots on it. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, please review. And I can either send an email back with my reviews or I can uh, approve or write notes directly within the program. Now, is your job as a director, you're sort of like you're the captain. You're all over the ship. I mean, you're looking at boards. You're you're in recording sessions. I take your you're you're working with each each uh, department, I suppose. Right. Um, well, what, well what, technically, what? technically, I'm the showrunner. So I had three. Oh, okay three directors working uh, with me. Um, I kind of, I like to function as like a supervising director in live action to where they'll do their first cut. And then then I'll go in and I'll do my, I'll get notes from the executives and the network, and then I'll do the final cut uh, after that. Now, how much drawing, because I know when we visited this summer, I saw like some really cool drawings. How much drawing does that require mm -hmm. or, or do you get to do? When you're for me, for me personally, yeah. or for you personally, you know the the type of drawing. I'll either do roughs for an idea of a character design. Sometimes I'll do a final if it requires a little tweak. Um, occasionally, in post, I tend to do a little bit more. I may reboard a sequence um, if overseas can't get a pose right. I'll do what I call drawovers, where I'll download a shot and I'll do a screen grab of one to three or sometimes more poses per shot. And then I'll just put it on model. And sometimes I'll just do a walk cycle and just say, here, use this, clean it up. Mm -hmm. uh, wow, there, really? There, yeah, there was a scene and I can show you a couple things, but uh, it was, I don't know if this was first or second season. I can talk about the first season guests, but not the second, but 52 episodes. I, <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you what was a first season episode <laughs> or a second season. Right. Um, but uh, I needed Shaggy to, uh, to to go, it's, it's. And, and it was just easier for me just to do it and board it and animate it and then send it overseas and say, here, clean it up and in between it. And but I have a, I have a copy of that I could show you. And, and uh, I take it that, that uh, because that's your skill set as being an animator, that does make you different than maybe some showrunners who are not necessarily animators. They wouldn't, they would have somebody else do that instead of you doing that. I think so. I, th I think that with, with showrunners, there's either, there's writer showrunners, there's animator showrunners, there's storyboard showrunners, there's background, you know, art director showrunners. So I think, you know, and I had one friend of mine who's a director at Disney feature, he came from effects. So when, so he was really concerned about all the effects, you know, when the, the dailies were coming in and he'd sort of let the supervising animator handle the characters. Um, you know, I tend to be a little more protective of the, the characters and the acting and be a little more hands-on just because that's my background. Right. Did that answer your question? I'm so not sure I did. Give... Yeah, 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 no, because I, I mean, I know that, um, you know, some, like you said, that some, some shows are really writer centric and they're sort of driven by writers more than artists, you know, and then there's, there's shows like Gendy's show. Mm -hmm. He's an, he's an artist, you know, so there's, yeah. there's a lot more that goes in on that 
level because I mean, Samuel Jack didn't have a lot of dialogue. I mean, it wasn't you know, it wasn't like Manhattan, like Woody Allen or something, you know. So have, have um, both you, have and let me jump in real quick. Have both of you guys seen Primal? No, yes. I, haven't, I haven't seen it yet. But don't and, you can spoil it for me? Go ahead. No, no, I'm not going to spoil it. But it is <laughs> uh, it's my favorite thing ever from uh, Gandhi. Wow. Uh, I yeah. love, it's actually my favorite thing ever. Let's just we'll just stop there. It, <laughs> it gave me the, it gave me the same thrill watching it as I did at like six years old watching Space Ghost. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. if you watch Space Ghost now, you kind of grow out of it. They're 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 you know they're they're not an easy watch. But the coolness of that main title and and all those cool designs and the yeah. cool music. Yeah. Uh, but I felt like that watching uh, uh, Primal as an adult. It's been again. I think. You know, I, I love Samurai Jack. I love all that stuff. Uh, I find Samurai Jack, for my taste, a little, little bit flat. You know, uh, in terms of pacing and all that. So this kind of really hit that that comic book action inch. But he's still, you know, what I love about his work is that he's not afraid to just like let these long periods just go on with characters just hanging out, which is sort of. Anti how a lot of you know most cartoons are they're like super spastic all the time. Yeah, you know? yeah, I know. That's that's why he's who he is. It, it's it's <laughs> it's great. So why don't you give us a little bit of your of your your background? Because I mean you did a lot of really cool stuff coming in. I mean, you started with uh you, you worked with Don Bluth, you worked on those video games. And then I always remember when I first got to know you, you telling me how you your first computer animation of Spider-Man. Yeah. Oh, right, right. So, well, you know, the, the, the business, you know, because I always wanted to, I always loved cartoons and comic books, superhero comics. And, and I thought I was going to be a, a superhero comic book artist. But uh, when it came time to pick a college, there were no colleges at the time where I could do that. Yeah. And, I was, and I was never a fine artist. I don't paint. I, don't, I, I didn't really have my mind in that kind of thing. But uh, when I was a junior in high school, I saw an uh, an advertisement advertisement in the Comics Journal uh, for CalArts. So I kind of put all my eggs in that basket and said, well, I like animation. And at the time, this was the late 70s, Disney made a clunker every four years and animation, TV animation was not like it is today. Oh, but yeah. uh, my friends and I, when we arrived at CalArts, we just figured, yeah, things will turn around or they won't or we'll use whatever we learn here and parlay it into whatever our careers end up being. And we just happened to kind of hit, you know, that second renaissance at Disney Feature. So some of my friends went right into Disney Feature from CalArts. I bounced around for a year, year and a half. But, um, yeah, one of the things I did was I think Don Booth was making my second job ever. I was an animator on Dragon Slayer 2 and Space Ace. Oh, I love Space Ace. Yeah, yeah. Those are cool. I think my, wow. my first shot was um, – uh, I said the, the evil Dexter, the giant Dexter. Yeah. He he ate um, he ate Ace, and it was just him going. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's great. And it, now I was an embryonic animator. I didn't know what I was doing, and I so so the shot was like two and a half seconds long, which is about this much paper. Yeah. I probably went through this much paper <laughs> trying to to draw it, and it was still you know my supervising director went over it and fixed the drawings and all that. But that job ended because the, uh, the studio lost its financing uh, in Dragon's Lord 2, mm -hmm. and it wasn't quite finished. Mm -hmm. And But evidently, I had, I had met a, uh, I was a longtime friend of mine now, Bill Croyer, who's a Disney animator, and he worked on Tron. 
I think we'd either met before at an event or he had got my name and I got this call out of the blue to do CG spaceships on a movie called Star Chaser, The Legend of Orin in 3D. Like the title's like that long or wait, let me set her up. And, and it, was, it was one of those sort of terrible live action looking Star Wars ripoffs. It has fans, so maybe I shouldn't say it's terrible. I thought it was terrible. Mm. But uh, it, but I learned, you know, that's where I learned to really use a computer. And 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 at the time, we didn't even have curve-fitting programs, so I'd have to use grass, graph paper and make a 60-degree you know, field of view and, and plot it out on a, on a top view and a side view in XYZ and mm. put a roll pitch and yaw on the wow. spaceships to make them do what they wanted. So if you look at the movie, some of the shots uh, – you know, have, have this kind of jittery feeling like that. And then some are super smooth. Mm -hmm. Halfway through, we got a curve fitting program from uh, the people who did Buckaroo Banzai. So all of a sudden the animation got smooth because we didn't have to potter in between that one at a time. But that, wow. but that led me to, um, you know, I then was one of the only sort of character animators uh, with computer experience and that's what led to my going to digital productions and animating the Spider-Man logo mm -hmm. and the Mick Jagger video, Hard Woman, and, and some other things. And now what's funny, what a common friend of ours, Scott Cohn, whenever I see him, he's, he always has to tell me that the Spider-Man logo is the coolest thing I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> you just you should have that as a, on a, like a business card on a loop, just like whatever you- Yeah, I know. <laughs> Well, you know. yeah, I, that was a big part of my, I hate to say my childhood, but it would come <laughs> on after all, a, a lot of the cartoons after school. And I was like, yo, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did I you build it. that I, model? Did you build No, 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 no. This was so specialized at the time. The uh, digital productions, they, they were known for doing the first digital effects for a live action movie. Um, what was it? Um, it was the kid that played the video game, and he got recruited recruited into the Space Force. Was that uh, oh, Last Starfighter? Last Starfighter, yeah, yeah, right. right. So those are the first digital effects, and they're a little cartoony looking, but it was groundbreaking. Yeah. And so I was, I came right after, came into the studio right after that film, um, and but no, it was very specialized. Um, I had a TV sit with me that taught me how to, uh, you know, grab the character's arm and rotate it and move it and. I'd have to type in SEL dot upper arm left dot 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 whatever. And then then I could use a I think I used a mouse or something to slide it around. Um, but what I what I for Spider-Man though, we had a model, we had a sculptor, then we took pictures of it, and then I would do drawings over it and sort of place the pivot points. Mm -hmm. And it was really we didn't they, they didn't have skin and muscle like they do now. So it was about cheating the pivot point and getting like the interpenetration to work right. So when it closed, it still kind of made that shape. Gotcha. You know, and then yeah. I had this terrific TD who's a big comic book fan as well, Kevin Bjorky. And, uh, and he's just a, a genius. And so he did all these little tricks to make, make it look like those hard angles were kind of smoothed over a little bit. And because remember, this was the age when all CG was chrome because chrome was cool and futuristic. Right, right. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, we were not allowed to make Spider Man red and blue because uh, it had to be chrome. So, Kevin, oh. lots of 
So Kevin put lots of red and blue light on it. Um, just so we please have feel like Spider-Man. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always, so it's I, I always wondered why that was Chrome. That's interesting. Yeah, I know. So yeah. It was just, uh, their logo wasn't Chrome. Their logo was the blue and red Spider-Man, but uh, the logo had to be Chrome because it was CGI. <laughs> yeah. That, that was the, uh, the um, almost uh, right before the Max Headroom days, right? Yeah. Wait, wasn't it? And MTV, where everything everything had the little lens flare, everything yeah. had a little, a little chasing around, everything had a little lens flare at the end, you know. Yeah, I'm a little foggy um, if uh, Max Headroom was a little before or after us, but uh, but yeah, there were a bunch of other commercials at the time, and everything was Chrome. It just had to be. I think it's interesting that you sort of even in the beginning of your career started being introduced to the computer because there's a lot of guys who worked at Disney who just did 2D and never touched the computer. That's right. And I think at the, in the beginning, you know, the studios were hungry for character animators to learn the computer and they would they bring you on and they would train you. And then uh, and then a lot of guys, you know, swore. It's like, no, I'm a 2D guy. That's that's my thing. Um, I just always had this tremendous fear of being unemployed. So that's why uh, <laughs> whenever I had an opportunity, we learned something new, sure. Um, but uh, then what happened though, when the whole industry kind of, shifted much more heavily that way and people realized that hey i gotta learn this skill to get work right. many of them kind of missed that boat where it's like okay but now you gotta learn it on your own and you gotta send us your reel because we're, we're not, we have enough people oh right right you were learning on the job kind of i guess that's right, right. so in the beginning i really lucked out because i for that spider-man job i had a tv uh, technical director sitting at my side for probably every day all day long for two, two and a half weeks, two, three weeks, until wow. I then, 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 because then I had enough information that I knew I could do what I, I knew how to open the files, you know, to animate a shot. But if I got stuck, I, even after, throughout the project, I would still have to go run and find that person for help. Um, it just, it was just a lot more, more uh, difficult than it is today. Chris, did you find, uh, since you've been in the industry so long, did you, um, can you talk about any type of technical choke points that started to happen as kind of tech advanced? Like I remember when I was in animation school and the lunchbox was the newest thing, Yeah. yeah. right? And I'm sure nobody uses those anymore. And then the next thing was Flash and everybody had to learn Flash. Um, talk about a little bit, if you can, about dealing with people who are coming into the business with this newfound knowledge of tech and how did that, bounce off of you well you know it it was kind of happy happening in the next room mm -hmm. for me mm -hmm. so because when i learned cgi it was really like i said earlier it's like well tell me what i need to do to move its head you know and mm -hmm. that software got easier and easier with every advance so for me it's like okay i with a new piece of software tell me what i need to do to move the head and then i'll learn it and and it's kind of the same it right. just gets a little bit easier every time. Right. So I'm aware of all these other things and um, uh, working in live action like I did on the Alvin movies and Mighty Joe and all that. Um, uh, I'm aware that like one reason why lighting has gotten so good uh, in movies is that instead of lighters having to get a CG character and kind of guess and set up lights to mimic the lighting of the characters in the live action that they're acting with, Mm -hmm. Now they put this chrome ball in the room 
or they used to do a chrome ball. Then the next advancement, first the chrome ball took a picture of everything that's outside the set and they'd reflect all that light back on the CG object. So oh. just like we're all getting light from the things that are outside this camera view here, mm -hmm. you know, that, that informs what we look like. They were now able to do that in this, for the CG characters. Then the next step would be they actually got a camera that uh, after we'd shoot a scene, they'd put this camera in the middle of the room and everyone have to be quiet and stand in one place and it would take you know several seconds. And again, it would take a big digital wraparound 360 degree picture of everyone. Mm. So things like that, you know, uh, just help the images look better. But again, I'm like an animator guy. I, I understand that process. As much as I understand it and I have supervised every aspect of it, when it goes from being this gray shaded ball to all of a sudden having fur on it or flesh or reflection in the eyes, that's magic to me. I don't know. I don't get it. I, I mean, I know it, but I, when they show that to me, it's just like Christmas morning. I, it's wow. so exciting. Yeah, and you have people that write those. You know, I've heard interviews like on Fresh Air where Terry Gross interviewed the people that did the water in, in Moana, you know what yeah. I mean? And they talked about how they have to write these different programs for like the, 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 the tension on the surface. And if they made it, they can make it look really realistic, but it looked better if they made it look slightly less right. realistic and stylized it a little bit more. Right. But That's when right. you're watching it, it looks real. You know, the you couple, don't notice that. There was, uh, I remember when, um, uh, with Mighty Joe Young, uh, you know, no, nobody saw it, unfortunately, but uh, the, the work in it was really great. It was done with Maya Beta. And I'm so proud of it to this day. Um, ILM did half the visual effects, so a little less than half, and and 51% at least was done at uh, DreamQuest. And when we flew up to ILM and they were showing us their first test of Joe, they put him in a, a running cycle and he's sort of trotting along. Gorillas mm -hmm. don't really run, except for a little short burst, but we had a cycle. Mm -hmm. And then they showed us how they would loosen up the skin and tighten up the skin, you know, and the jiggle. So. And just watching that with the same run cycle, it's like, wow, there's like really old Joe with like floppy skin and his losses elasticity and he's fat. And then and then the younger one, you can tighten it up to where there's just a really tight jiggle and it just feels like a really young muscular character. So all those things are are adjustable. And similarly, you know, the hair, you know, you can you can get this really, you know, like flowing hair. Um, like one reason that that hair looks the way it does. I don't know how much you know about this, but like if you were to take the hair off an Asian person, you know, which usually hangs very straight and silky, uh, it's round when you cut a cross section. And then uh, Jamar, if you took a piece of your hair and you cut a cross section, it would be flat. It's like, you know, we do a ribbon, you know, at Christmas time. That's, that's why it's curly. And then you people like me or everyone else is somewhere in between. But um, not uh, me, I so, have none. Well, well, okay. You're back here. He That's had his right. turn. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but those are all things that uh, are built into the hair. How much does it bounce? How springy is it? Mm -hmm. Is it curly? Is it coarse? Whatever. I remember, Chris, this was a while ago because we've all been friends for a long time. And I remember you and I having a discussion about um, weight, like the weight of, of objects on screen and that's a huge part of the believability of uh, 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 an actor. And wondering, has that gotten better or worse with some of the new people you're working with? Because it seems like that's like a thing either you get 
or you don't get. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. No, I, I know what you mean. The, because there's two parts of the question. One is like, if you do, like if you watch those, those, some of like some of the Bakshi films where he traces live action, mm-hmm. there's something weird. And even the Disney films where they do rotoscoping, the humans mm-hmm. seem to sort of float along the ground because right. they have the timing of us and they don't feel like cartoon characters. Right, they that's slide, gonna, right. That's yeah. right. So if you're yeah. drawing it, you kind of want to give a little extra boom, 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 bounce so you have some weight. Mm-hmm. But uh, but in CGI, there's that other problem that that uh, characters, yeah, uh, oftentimes it, I really notice the characters when they lose their weight and they're moving, not too fast, because you do want like a superhero that's CGI to be able to move fast, but you mm-hmm. have to account for the weight somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, to um, start or to or to, to stop. That's mm-hmm. right. So, he, oh, that's, you brought up a great a great anecdote. Uh, this a film I worked on called Deep Rising had some sea monsters in it, mm-hmm. and I was brought in as a nine one one guy because the filmmakers were frustrated, the animators were frustrated, and and uh, and they would say he doesn't know what he wants. One day he says he wants it slimy, then the next day he wants it scaly, and then he says he wants to move, make it move faster, and then he says it needs more weight. And but if you give it more weight, then it's not moving fast enough. Mm-hmm. So that's what the, the things the animators are going through. Well, what I realized was very quickly is that, okay, if you wanted to shoot forward like in three frames, like a Cobra, Cobra's actually faster than that, but like a wah at the Mm -hmm. camera, you have to have the weight at the other side. When it hits the wall, you have to have all that weight of its body go boom, you know, coil. Mm -hmm. Or you could, if you wanted to blast through a wall at three frames, you need this big antic and and really feel that weight on the takeoff, then you can have it do something ridiculously fast and deny the weight at the other end. But I found you had to do it on one side or the other, or mm-hmm. the shot just looked like you sped up the film and it looked fake. Right, right, right. That's why I love those old Superman Fleischer cartoons. You really felt his weight. Yeah. He was moving stuff. And that made him feel strong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When, when he was punching the laser beam, you felt like he hit something that was trying to push him back. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, those are great. So now you went from you went you were you were sort of jumping around doing TV stuff. Then you got into features, right? So when did what was your first feature at Disney? Let's see. I was at it was Oliver and Company. So I was working. Yeah, that was the first feature because I did a little freelance on a project called Sport Goofy, uh, and then. No, no, it was Great Mouse Detective because I was working in there in this the Sport Goofy unit, and they dissolved the unit, but they wanted needed help finishing Great Mouse Detective, so they asked all of us who'd animated, "Would you please come over and animate on the movie?" And uh, so I I did a handful of shots, more than that actually, but uh, about a minute's worth maybe, and when the movie wrapped, I. I had an opportunity to go back to digital productions uh, where we worked on the Spider-Man project and the hard woman. And, and I just, I, I took it, you know, I, uh, I kind of felt like I was in over, over my head at Disney features anyway. Like I wasn't really good enough to be there. I needed a little more experience. But so when I was over at digital, uh, I was there about a year, year and a half. And then Disney was talking to them about doing some projects and, 
Disney actually asked me to, to come back and help out with the next movie. So it was kind of seamless. I was at Disney. I left to go to digital, worked on a bunch of CG projects there. Then I came back to Disney feature as an animator on Oliver and Company. And again, I was known as kind of now, I was like the CG guy. Mm -hmm. So I worked traditionally on that film and, and Little Mermaid and, and uh, then uh, the, the, the studio, the live actions part of the studio was making Hocus Pocus and they were having trouble with their animation. And so they came over to feature animation and say, look, can you guys tell us what are we doing wrong? What do we need to do? And the head of the department said, talk to Chris Bailey, talk to Chris <laughs> Bailey and then talk to us. So, so you know, what? It, it's funny. I have the same thing tattooed on my stomach. Uh, talk to Chris Bailey. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chris. Go ahead. No, no, no. So, uh, so, so I met with them, and they showed me what they were doing, and and that, it, and it wasn't quite coming together, but it was promising, and and I could tell they were just missing some direction. Mm -hmm. So they brought me on uh, to supervise a shot done three different ways. They were doing tests where they would try to do a really good version where they would paint the mouths on the animal, you know? And yeah. of course it just looked like a really good version of that, that thing you saw in the 1930s or 40s. Or like clutch cargo or clutch something. Cargo. Not clutch cargo, that was a live action mouth. But no, there was, uh, <laughs> what was the, there was like, uh, it was like that, to that old song, you know, um, would you like to sing like a bird? You know, da 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 yeah. Anyway. Uh, right. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. But they would paint, they'd cut to the monkey and he'd go, ooh, anybody would just be like hand paint over the monkey's mouth. Yeah. Uh, so they did one version like that. Then they did a version where they were doing 2D warping of the real cat's face. And when it opened its mouth, they would have a 3D set of dentures in there. And then they did a version where they would cut the real cat's head off digitally. Um, <laughs> then, then they would animate its head sort of moving around and talking, and then they would put a fur sock to sort of blend in between the CG head and the mm -hmm. real cat. Okay. And, and that, that was the most promising version um, for me, and that, that was the one that turned out the best. I supervised a test using all three, and they chose that one. And uh, so we did the film uh, in that way. And that, that kind of cemented me as sort of the CGI character animator guy. So even mm -hmm. though I went back to Disney feature and I did more 2D and I started directing short projects for the theme parks, um, that that directly led to a good you know 10 year stint uh, at Fox where I worked on Aragon and X-Men 2 and Alvin and the Chipmunks and Hop and um, of course Hop was universal. So, but, but I did that for a good 10 or 12 years. So you're like, so do you remember the first day you walked on the Disney lot? Uh, well, well, it wasn't the Disney lot. They'd actually had moved all the animators to these to this this string of warehouses in Glendale because um, <laughs> this was right after Eisner and Katzenberg and Roy Disney took the studio back, and you know animation was a little bit on thin ice because you know it was kind of a money loser. So they didn't know if they were going to keep it. So they went, "What the heck are all these animators doing in all these nice offices?" So they uh. they. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, they, so, so your first, do you remember your first day in the warehouse? <laughs> yeah, I, I do not remember my first day in the warehouse. I remember the warehouse quite well, but I do not remember my first day of reporting. You're like, ah, I really warehouse. made it. I really made it. I'm working in a warehouse. Ew. Yeah, the, the, the U factor was a little high, but, um, but I was very happy. I was very happy to, to, to be there. Um, and then, then of course, you know, with the success of the movies, you know, subsequently they built a new building for everybody uh, adjacent to the lot. Um, that's where Future Animation is today. So now, how did you get move up to then becoming a director? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the uh, I always wanted to direct, and it's like, you know, I was like, somehow, like being an animator on a project, you know, where you're the actor. I felt like, oh, I don't have enough control or I think this this project would maybe be better if we did it like this. I always had this little sense of unease about the project as a whole or a sense of confidence. Um, I, I, it didn't, I wasn't like some animators where I was happy just to animate my shot and that movie can succeed, movie can fail, it doesn't matter because I'm an animator. Right. And uh, so how it came about was um, I decided that's what I wanted to do, but I knew I had to animate on a few pictures and I had to prove that I could handle some responsibility and supervise other people. And one day I was walking between one of the mini annexes in, uh, in that part of uh, Glendale and it started to rain and I saw the head of the department pulling out of the building. And so I was like, huh, I should probably get to know him if I'm going to direct. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I ran up to his window and I banged on it and uh, he rolled it down and looked at me and of course he recognized me, but you know, we hadn't really talked. And uh, I said, I can I have a ride. Are you going back to the studio? Can I have a ride? And it's uh, like, what? It's okay, fine. Get in. So, uh, so I just chatted a little bit with him on the way back and, and he made a joke and he, he said, wasn't it time for you to leave again, leave the studio again? Because he was aware that I had done like a lot of uh, studio hopping in my early, early career, and I and I said, no, 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 I'm planning on staying around a little bit. I want to work on my skills and um, among other things. But that little conversation allowed me an in, you know, to just sort of, you know, set a meeting with him and poke my head in and sort of, you know, reference that comment and tell him what my plans were. And I literally just asked. I just said, well, I want to direct something. He goes, oh, really? How are you going to do that? And I said, well, I thought I'm going to make a meeting with you every few weeks or once a month. And I'm just going to tell you what I think about stuff. <laughs> and I said, and eventually there's going to be one small little project that you're going to go, huh, Chris would probably be good for this. We'll give Chris a shot at that. And that's what happened. Uh, about a year later, um, you know, there was a small project for uh, Paris Disneyland that came up and, and, and he let me direct it. And, uh, and it started there. Um, there was one brief thing in between, though, that may have had a little helping hand. Uh, in between The Little Mermaid and Rescuers Down Under, I had the opportunity to uh, design the characters and direct the animation for the Paul Abdul video, Opposites Attract. Right, yeah. And, uh, and I, I had a video in my garage, and I handed out like a shot to every one of my friends at Disney. So I would say like half the video was animated by me and a friend of mine, um, Will Finn. And the other half, everybody did one shot. <laughs> so like 30 <laughs> guys did one shot. And uh, um, 
But anyway, when it came out, Michael Eisner loved it. And he sent a note to Peter Schneider saying, who did this? We should have them working at the studio. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Peter sent it to me. And um, and so then I sent Michael Eisner a cell and say, I'm actually already at the studio, but thank you. And, uh, and uh, I think, so I was starting to direct and supervisor on the outside. It must have looked like maybe my career was moving faster on the outside than it was at the inside. And I got this uh, small world project to direct. Wow, that's really cool. <laughs> and that led then to doing like Runaway Brain and things like that? Yeah, yeah, Runaway Brain. I directed a, a couple theme park projects, I think, first. And, and yeah, that led to Runaway Brain. Uh, Runaway Brain actually came right on the heels of Hocus Pocus. So I oh. think the, the, the timeline, it gets, you know, it's, it goes back so far that it gets a little foggy when I talk about it. Yeah. But uh, I do remember I was, because I was working on Runaway Brain and Hocus Pocus at the same time, it was practically killing me. Mm. We were, we were do, <laughs> doing night shoots on Hocus Pocus. So I'd work my day at Disney and then uh, I would beg out at four or five o'clock and I'd go shoot night shoots until, you know, midnight or something. Wow. Now, I find, I, one of the things I find interesting about you doing this dual thing is because you have two different learning paths because you're saying right. i want to improve myself i want to be milled call mm -hmm. on one hand right and then you want to do this computer stuff which is constantly changing the software is changing everything every picture probably there's something new that you didn't use on the previous picture so how are you strategizing you've got well, well you know i see where you're going I, but i don't as an animator, I don't really have to strategize at all because it's all the same. It's all performance. You know, right. if you're doing a cartoon character, it's going to be this bouncy, you know, squishy thing that moves around and going to be super broad. If you're doing uh, something like Mighty Joe Young, it's you're going to act it like ugh, ugh, ugh. it's going to be this heavy thing. So, the thinking. Well, let me back up a little. When you when you're drawing on paper and you're flip, you've seen people flip on the paper and flip the paper on the desk, you're still thinking 3D. You're drawing 2D, but you're thinking 3D. When I'm working on a screen, manipulating a 3D character, I'm thinking 3D, but it's 2D. There's a screen there. I can't look at it. I can turn it around and all that, but I can't touch it. It's not like a, a you know, stop motion character. So those skills, it feels the same. I, I know it may be counterintuitive, but it doesn't feel different to me whether I'm you know supervising characters for TV or CG or or 2D, you're really just dealing with budget limitations or some things are, you know, easier to communicate, you know, in um, in one medium or another. No. Oh, I think you're, you're stuck, Mike. Oh, no. Look at him. We, we lost him to the Matrix. Yeah. There he is. You wanted, you, wanted, you wanted to solve a problem. Would you go to the archive and you, would you look at stuff? How would you do that? Mm -hmm. Um. Sure. I mean, well, mo not so much the archive. Um, uh, it had pretty much been plundered by the time I was there. But uh, <laughs> we look at stuff all the time. Sure. You know, when uh, when we were doing Garfield, I don't know, and people don't take those movies that seriously, but, you know, Dan DeLue, my visual effects supervisor, uh, you know, he's doing the, the Marvel movies now. He's just like this crazy talent, nice guy. But we would shoot footage of cats. There's a real cat skeleton in Garfield, the movie. And he's got this goofy big head and everything. But um, but the paws work the same way a real cat works. We push the proportions around. And we'd shoot video. And we'd say, we'd notice like when a cat jumps off the table, and the table's up 
I'm looking at the mirror version of myself. I should stop. So <laughs> the cat's up here. It'll actually lean down, lean down, lean. Then it will stretch all the way down to where it's touching the ground with his back toes still on the table. But it will not let go until the last possible minute. And we look at that kind of flexibility. Say, mm -hmm. well, if a real cat is that flexible, you know, our cat has to be that flexible plus five or ten percent, right? Um, yeah. You know, just so we can make it feel a little more real. Now, and then on top of this, you were still interested in because that's how I got to know you were doing your your damage. You're doing your own independent. That's project. right. Because I always At the same time. That's right. Because I always, like I said, I've never sort of lost you know my my uh, love of. Uh, Frosting colored super jocks, as uh, I like to call them. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, you know, I had a concept of um, it's it's sort of like, um, you know, big meets Marvel comics or what if uh, Billy Batson was stuck in the Captain Marvel body. And yeah, so I drew it just because it was fun to draw comics. I made a short film and and I've had it optioned a couple times and almost got it made a couple times. And Fortunately, you know, none of that happened. But, <laughs> but yeah, that's how I met you because, uh, you know, I did these comics and a friend of mine who's a sculptor in the, the entertainment industry, Jim McPherson, he showed me some of your comics when I was over at his uh, apartment one day. And, and, um, and so, yeah, so that's why I looked you up and I said, look, I'm making comics too. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of my comics? And, uh, and, and you were like, yeah, this is good. <laughs> You should publish well, this. I always think it's it when I started getting into animation, you know, doing the boards, it was sort of, I guess, a revolution uh, to me that there was like the guys in animation all loved comics and many of them wanted to do comics, and guys in comics all want it's like everybody That's wanted right. to jump. Yeah. Everybody wanted to go over, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, then you had people like Bruce or you that kind of like do both things, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, I mean, he, man, he's prolific. That that guy. Um, uh, we actually met at Don Bluth Animation years and years ago. Uh, believe it or not. So um, you were at the same time on on what on Space Ace and Space Dragon's Lair. Yeah, we'd go to the comic book store across the street every Wednesday together. Um, wow. But anyway, but uh, but I think that's right because you know in animation it's such a team effort. You, you can't do it all. I mean, Bruce has made a terrific stamp on his stuff. Um, uh, but, you know, you, you have directors and character designers and color modelists. And, you know, you, you're sort of steering the ship. You point the direction, but then your team takes you that direction. So I think people in animation, they want, they want to do something and say, look, I did this. You know, like you could do with a comic book. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and you know, uh, and maybe for some people in comics, it's I want my thing to be alive. I want to, <laughs> I want to see it be yeah, like, yeah. like you know, go go to this, you know, the upper stratosphere, or, or leave the comic book universe and be part of the the TV universe. Well, I always said before, uh, said this before, but like when I draw a comic, and it's probably because I watched animation obsessively as a child. It they it moved in my head, so it's like yeah. I'm grabbing a frame out of what I see in my head and putting that into the comic, you know. Um, where there's some people, I think they just see an image, and it's just that image. Yeah, you know, you can tell because not everyone that works as a board artist has been an animator, but uh, you can tell 
the board artists that understand how to move a figure around and what's actually going on from the ones that don't, that just can make sort of a fun comic book image. And it really reflects itself in the work and how it comes back. Yeah, and, and one of the things that was interesting, um, because I had seen, you know, like Toth's storyboards and Jack Kirby's storyboards long before I ever did storyboards. And then when you see them, you realize, wow, these are really cool drawings, but they don't really work at all as storyboards. No, no. <laughs> you didn't. know, especially those Kirby ones for like the Fantastic Four. Yeah. They're just like a long comic yeah, page. you, you yeah. would only see like a little piece of the story at any one time, and you're like, well, it's not quite like you know, like a, a great shot where you're you're there's a rainstorm through the forest and you pull back through the window and you see people, you know, drinking soup by the fire. You know, that's great. You have one story at the head of the shot, another story at the B side. Mm. But yeah, the the Kirby didn't quite understand the camera, as big a you know, crazy fan as I am of his comics, didn't quite yeah. work. I and then Toth's stuff was too. It like it didn't really hook up. It like they were like really yeah. cool shots, but then you would need shots in between those shots to make them. Yeah. Flow. Yeah, flow that's right. Them, you know. Um. So that was that was something that was very interesting to me to go into comics into animation and realize that it's 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 a common language in one area like composition and things like that, but you're yeah. dealing with time and you're dealing with movement. Do you remember those guys? There were there were a few guys doing comics back when we were kids. And I don't you probably remember who they are. Frank Miller would do it sometimes. But they would do like three or four ghosted panels. Well Gil King did that all the time. Yeah, yeah. And so it was crazy. I'd look at that stuff when I was a kid. It totally makes sense I'm an animator now. Because I would, I would go, oh, that works. And that worked. Like Spider-Man would catch his weight on something and push it off on a flagpole or something. Mm -hmm. And then I'd note, I could always tell the panel that didn't work. It works, work. No, that one doesn't work. Why doesn't that work? Or somebody could do, you know, like Hulk pounding on it, something. Boom, boom, boom. And, and you could feel it. And then somebody else would do it, and it felt like the same static drawing kind of over and over again. I'm like, and I, and I remember just wondering why I would respond to some and not others. So one of my first fan comic book covers, I think I did a Master of Kung Fu cover when I was in high school, mm -hmm. just for fun. And I wanted to do all the in-betweens of the, the martial arts. I think I put like 40 poses in it. I fully <laughs> in-betweened it all the way across. It looked like when you see, like when they lay out animation, you know, cells. <laughs> right. yeah. So I was obsessed with that kind of thing. And I think you have to have a sense of that movement to really storyboard well. Yeah, yeah. I know that there were other guys that have tried getting... And it's also, there's guys who are very good at doing TV boards, right? Yeah. And movie boards, but it doesn't have to hook up like animation or TV, especially TV animation, where you're really drawing like keyframes. So yeah, that's right. In live action, it's... it. Uh, visual effects, it's really just the shot. That's all anybody cares about. So when you go to TV or, or features, uh, uh, features, you, you board it almost like animation, but they're not so sticky on, is that the exact angle? Because it's gonna go through a whole DP stage with the, um, the head of layout where they workbook it and they really finalize the action in the final cutting. TV, you actually have to bake that into your boards. You're, you're doing the final cut as you board the work and the stronger animation skills are, the 
the better the animation will come back. Did oh, but when do... I, oh, I'm sorry, I was going to add one more thing. When I did the live action films, like uh, you know the Alvin, Alvin and the Chipmunks movies and Garfield, it was a little bit of a hybrid. Um, I, I used animation guys to do the storyboards, and they would do it just like they would do like ten panels, mm -hmm. and I'd say, you know what? We just need a sense of the acting. Just give me three. Just I suppose what happens is if while it may help the animator later on, when I'd go into these meetings and I'd have to pitch the storyboards to a room of a hundred people about what's happening, they're like getting ahead of me, like, cause they're all looking for, okay, what do I have to do? Do I have to rig a door to like open? Do right. I have to rig a pillow when a chipmunk falls on? All they care about really is what is the shot, but I wanted enough there to communicate the acting so people could get the feeling. And so three panels seem to be about, you know, the maximum that we could do to where I could hold everyone's attention. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so how did you, because you're bouncing in, so how did you come become involved with Kim Possible in the same way with Scooby? You were somewhere and somebody said, hey, we're doing this oh, thing. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, my career's been so sort of fun and mystifying in this way. So I left Disney to do CGI, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then it was while I was doing that that I was asked to work on Mighty Joe Young and Deep Rising. And I was, I, Disney in the meantime bought the visual effects studio DreamQuest. And they were doing the visual effects for Inspector Gadget through DreamQuest. And I was on that movie. Then over here on the other side of the world, Kevin Smith had sold Clerks as a TV series. Mm -hmm. And Kevin had seen Runaway Brain with the maniacal Mickey Mouse who took a sculpture of him somewhere? The uh, this guy. Ah, okay. And, yeah. and Kevin <laughs> and Kevin thought that anybody who could do a cartoon with a monster salivating Mickey Mouse chasing Minnie uh, would be right for a Clerks TV series. <laughs> so, uh, so he had requested me just because he had seen the cartoon. And uh, Peter Schneider, since he, he'd now become head of, of the entire motion picture division, not just animation. And so he asked me to leave, um, leave early from Inspector Gadget and help Kevin do Clerks. So I did Clerks. Unfortunately, it only lasted six episodes. Mm -hmm. I left, and that's when I went and did X-Men 2, among some other films. And Disney was starting up Kim Possible... And, and uh, Mark and Bob, who created Kim, they'd liked kind of what I was doing on Clerks. And they asked me if I would come back to Disney TV and help them with their show. And, and so I, I, I didn't know them before, um, but uh, you know, they became great friends and um, they were very magnanimous. They're like, look, we're the writer executive producers. We want you to be a full executive producer, supervising director. Um, so, you know, I would give notes on their scripts that they were free to ignore or pursue as they saw fit. And uh, they were very magnanimous when I would do the cut, um, you know, that I could cut dialogue or rearrange scenes to make it play better. Um, so that's how Kim Possible came about. And so when that, then when, unfortunately, when that first season ended, they didn't know if it would be a hit or if they'd pick it up. And they let most of us go. And hmm. I went back into visual effects at that point. Wow. I remember... 
uh, seeing some designs of Kim by Shane Glines, mm -hmm. and it was uh, she was taller and thinner and almost um, like those those kind of girls he does he he did that was sort of based off of uh, uh, like Kriaz or one of those one of those artists. Uh -huh. And then I remember you telling me you had a little. There was a debate about whether Kim would have boobs or no boobs. That's right. Know? And I thought that was just so weird. Just such mm -hmm. a, you never think like that would be like a big. Did you guys test market Kim with boobs or no boobs? <laughs> uh, I think we tested her. She had no boobs uh, in the version that we tested. But uh, well, how that came about because. Uh, Mark and Bob were directing Shane and Shane had done a whole room full of drawings and, and they were all, they were brilliant because Shane's brilliant. Yeah. Um, nothing had really landed and they knew they, they needed a director on to talk artist to artist. Uh, so by the time I came on, Shane was kind of burned out on it. So unfortunately we didn't really work together on it. Um, but my take was I wanted to, to go a little more fun and cartoony and, uh, and so I kind of based the proportions off the genie from the I Dream of Genie titles. Oh, okay. And uh, so she had a little little short torso, and she was flat and big bobblehead and like helmet hair. And uh, and it was deemed that that they felt that was just really too young. And they kind of, you know, in retrospect, they kind of overreacted to it. You know, mm. like oh, it's too young, too young. And uh, and so they were freaking out, and they were they wanted her to be too old, like, like alias. And so well, you can't have her in college. I said, she can't be that girl. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just remember, so I said, well, what if we, look, what if we just, you know, taking a cue off some of the, like the, the shag drawings at the time, and it felt very retro, instead of like, let's make her a little bit taller, we'll give her longer hair, and let's just give her this, a hint of a figure, you know, and just like little, little pointy boots. And, um, which became a controversy all in itself, separate from boobs or no boobs. But um, but it won out because, you know, in, in TV animation, 100 people are drawing it. Nobody can really draw it that consistently. And so since she's supposed to be the freshman who's captain of the cheerleader team the, the, and the head cheerleader is, is resentful of that, we figured, well, let's make her curvy. And then Kim will be geometric with like little triangle shoulders and, and right. you know, little pointy breasts. And then, and then the, the younger preteen girls will all be flat. So then you have three very basic geometric types that you can draw them 10 different ways from Sunday and you'll mm -hmm. still get it. You know, flat prepubescent kid, barely postpubescent adult. Mm -hmm. And right. uh, so that kind of became the language. But yeah, but it, they were nervous. I think uh, for whatever reason, I can't get inside their head and I don't really choose to, but the, the idea of the, uh, of yeah, Kim Possible's breasts was uh, was seemingly never ending, and then then it became once it be she became Kim Possible, and that's her design. Everybody, you know, loved it. Yeah, it's funny because I I guess they never have that problem with male characters, right? Like, oh, he looks too old, or he looks too you know. There was no problem with Ron, was there? No, Ron no, had no, the beard. But no, Ron. Ron <laughs> no, Ron was fine. You know, I have to tell you, Dave Bullock actually helped me with. I actually had trouble drawing Ron consistently. Steve Silver designed Ron. Ron. He and I went back and forth on Kim a lot and Draken, and Draken's probably a little more mine, but uh, 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 we could go back and forth on stuff. But um, uh, 
Dave Bolek, you know, a board artist comic yeah. friend of mine, he's the one that said, you know, I finally figured out with Ron, the higher you make his eyes and the lower you make his mouth, the more it looks like Ron. And, it was like, and I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Then I went back and I started drawing Ron going, oh, my God, that's totally true. So um, I'm sorry. There was another point in there somewhere. but um, Well, I worked I, – I had a lot of fun on that uh, on that show. And it's funny whenever I mention – there's a few shows. If I mention it to the classes when I teach, everybody still loves, like, Impossible. Yeah. People still love Samurai Jack. Yeah. You know, they remember uh, the Fairly Odd. Those are like still, I mean, those shows are what almost some of them are like 20 years old now, but Kim? Kim still remember. Yeah. Kim's close. I think Kim's 17, 18 years now. Wow. It's over 15. Do you know, yeah. I have a, uh, uh, one fun thing is, uh, you know, directing the voices is, you know, meeting people who I've known my whole life. And so, you know, senior, senior, senior. If you remember, that was Ricardo Montalban uh, for the, the first two. And I was like so nervous about meeting him. Like, I don't know how to direct. And it's like real Hollywood. It's like <laughs> And uh, so, and he was super gracious and really, and we became friendly over the few recording sessions we did together. But uh, uh, I, to break the ice, I said, you know, I use a performance of yours from Star Trek II in an animation talk I gave. I gave. And he goes, oh, really? And he was intrigued. And so I started telling him the story and I was pitching him the scene of, um, you know, Khan and Reliant and we are one big happy fleet, you know. And uh, as I was pitching him the story, he, in his chair, he actually, he kind of posed himself <laughs> like Khan, like, like just like subconsciously. And I was like, oh my God, it's like Khan right here. Biggest Star Trek geek. It was, uh, it was quite the moment. <laughs> Did but he say, the, did he did he did he go into it at, at all? Did he go into it? You know, he didn't. What was interesting about him, if you if you like watch Khan, he's actually there are moments where he explodes, but he plays it all very close to the chest. So you think he's actually much bigger than he is, because I originally I'd said that to him. I said, I really kind of like that, you know, like you've got all the strength in here, but then you just explode now and then. That's so unlike doing it at Kirk in Star Trek 2, you're doing it at your idiot son because he doesn't respect you. It's like, you will, you will do what I say. And uh, and uh, um, so uh, so what we do is he, he started out that one. I said, you know, I actually think I want it a little bit bigger. And so he went, okay. And, and he did it. And he and he thanked me for not giving him line readings. And I'm like, you're Ricardo Montalban. Why, how could I give you line readings? <laughs> So why don't you uh, show us some of the uh, the art that you have? Sure. To give us a little talk through. Well, let's because you know what I did, I found a bunch of stuff that was kind of interesting. Um, let's see. Let's look at this real quick. This is that scene of Shaggy I talked about earlier. Can you see that? You have to click share your screen. Oh, I have to click screen. something. Yes. Yeah, it says you have to click share. Uh, your you shouldn't put anything. In <laughs> uh -oh. Share your screen. Where is that? It should be at the it's bottom. At the bottom. It should be at oh, the bottom. Got there. it. Share screen. And then it should pop up on my thing. Did it work? I don't see anything yet. Uh, oh, oh, I see. It's asking me which screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have um, to type screen application. Or it can be the application. 
And while Chris is doing that, I'll plug our sponsors. You're watching <laughs> Pencil to Pencil podcast with our good friend and guest, Chris Bailey. And Pencil to Pencil is sponsored by our friends over at Graphicsly, who produce Clip Studio Paint. So when you say, when you see, it says share screen, then you click on the screen, and then you click, you touch the screen, and then well, you hit share. Well, I did that, but because I have three screens open, it's more complicated. Yeah. So it sent me oh, to okay. uh, some other, so it sent me to my preferences. Let's see, so on your Mac, click the Apple logo. Okay, you've done that. Security and privacy, done that. Uh, now, let's see, click screen recording. No, I don't see that. Let's do it. We can do it a, another way. Let's just do that. And we'll just. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start over. Okay. And while Chris is sharing, guys, everybody who's uh, watching live, um, I can't see you in the room. So the only way I know you're here is if you uh, type a comment. And this is last call for comments or questions. So if you have something you'd like to ask Chris or myself or Mike, uh, drop them in the comments now or forever hold your peace. Thank you. <laughs> Can you see it yet? Mm, no. Hold on. Damn it. You're, you're on StreamYard, right? You're in the Facebook thing? No, no. It's, it's on. It's, and I'm in the browser. I'm in, I'm in um, Chrome. Yeah, that's what I'm in Chrome. So if you see at the bottom of the yeah. window. Yeah, hit share, share screen. screen. If you hit that, and then, then, it, then you hit it again. And then you see share your screen, your entire screen. If you click that, and then it should be a blue, yeah. blue, blue share. And if you hit that, it'll share your screen. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Oh, it says, here it says oh, Chrome has lost permission to capture your screen. Oh, interesting. Follow these steps. I'll do it again. So, so your computer's fighting you. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't. It does not want to share this screen. But let's wait. One, let's try one more time. Okay. And uh, our uh, good buddy Kevin Greaves says this is a great interview. Very entertaining. Thank you, Kevin. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> See all this technology, and then. I mean, you can animate a gorilla running, but we can't hear the screen. I know, isn't that crazy? <laughs> you know, the most a... complicated thing with hair and forty different suns reflecting light oh, and shadow. We're so close, though. Trust me, we're. Uh, oh, really? Everything is looking. Oh wait, I'm supposed to have a folder here that says screen recording, and I don't. Oh, there it is. Okay, Google. Do I need Scotty to get the Jeffrey's tube? Let's see. Google Chrome will not be able to record the console's screen until it's quit. That's weird. Hmm. Google, I don't want to do that. Oh, uh, it's giving you like uh, restrictions. Yeah, because it it's saving you from yourself, Chris. <laughs> see, ensure your browser's checked. I did, mm. but then a little pop up said. Google Chrome will not be able to record the contents of your screen until it is quit. You can choose to quit Google Chrome now or do it on your own later. Let's say later. Yeah. Um, I 
Yeah, I like those sirens. Oh, Chris, there it is. I got it. I got it. Did it work? Yeah, hold on a second. I'm going to add it. All right, we're in. Oh, there we go. Okay. okay. Awesome. All right, so this was that scene I talked about where um, I just needed a little insert of Shaggy, and I was just going to do a storyboard, but then I'm like, that's nah, a short scene. I can just animate it. So these are the frames that I did. So he's like, it's, it's, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do a lot of little things like this for every episode. Uh-huh. Oh, can you roll uh, that? Can you, you roll you that again? Timing? Oh, yeah. sure. Do you give them? Do you give them notes on the timing? Like, who does your timing? Is that a, still a separate thing? No, I'll I'll do. I draw mostly in Sketchbook Pro on my uh, Cintiq Companion, mm -hmm. and uh, I can actually do a little timings right there. So, so. So there's the extreme, and I sort of blow out the fingers so it's nice and cartoony, mm. and then do the squash coming back. And now, because of limited animation, I just held his body, but yeah. then just kept the left arm moving, and then shoot it out again. But the second point is not quite as extreme as the first. Great. And then the third one is not quite as extreme as that one. I like that snap. Yeah, you can feel it, right? I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I guess that's the biggest difference now is if I, because uh, I haven't done a board in a couple of years. So like now everything's on the Cintiq. Now I just have a Cintiq, but the last board I did, I mean, there was like, you know, those Samurai Jack boards are like telephone books. Yeah. Yeah. So here was uh, one of my scenes from The Little Mermaid. So you got the voice track, and how long was that scene? Like it was just a couple lines. Uh, yeah, that was probably a couple seconds. All right, so remember the scene, clunk. <laughs> I think that's a meme now. It is. <laughs> I hope you get some credit for that, Chris. All right, so so, but I want to talk about this a little bit because we yeah. talked about you know the flexibility of characters and everything. Uh, so I always I always say that like the more flexible a character is, the more appealing they'll be because they're just squishier and cuter. So here though, there's very little movement going on. I just thought his face should just fall. No cartoon antic, no nothing. And when it hits the ground, it just splats out like a bunch of clay. <laughs> right? It's yeah. super subtle, yeah. but you can see it. And then this gentle little hand comes around. <laughs> this, this is when Ariel's singing, and you know Scuttle thinks it's super cute. And then without even thinking twice, because he loves his little buddy, just puts his little finger under there and shuts his mouth again and makes him whole. <laughs> now, so, now, how much leeway, like when they give you that scene, I guess you have a layout and you have the voice track, then the, how much of that performance is up to you to add or to plus? Well, it's very similar to live action where you have a script and you have an action and you have marks and then working with the director, you sometimes you do exactly, you know, what what they had in mind. And other times there's room to uh, just sort of perform it the way you want. So this scene, it's pretty much was this on the board, but it was sort of up to me to say, well, how much it was kind of my choice. How much do I want to move it? How cartoony and Tex Avery do I want to make it? And but I'm thinking again. So this little jelly character, he's just squishy inside that shell. Mm -hmm. He's just a slug. Mm -hmm. But then, so here you have the squash, 
But then I figured there's got to be this little tiny marble of a brain in there or skull. So if you go forward, boink, that's where the little brain pops up. <laughs> and then it all comes back down. <laughs> hey, Chris, uh, we have a question from our good buddy, John Gallagher. Oh, Jokerfish. Oh, I miss you guys so much. John says, Chris, does voice directing plus the animation, is that common to do both? Um, well, in TV, in, in features where I came from, the directors direct the actors. They direct the animator actors and they direct the, the, the vocal actors. Um, in TV, there's this extra category of a, a, a voice director that is usually not the showrunner, I heard like showrunners and writers would come, but this other person generally directs them. But because I had done it, you know, going back to Kim Possible, I just do it. Mm -hmm. So is it, but was a question like, is it different or does it enhance the animation? Uh, I think his question was like, do most directors uh, direct the voice actor actors also? Oh, I think in TV, no, I think it's rare. Uh, I think in features, they all do. Yeah. Mm, okay. Cool. Thank you. Um, so that's that guy. It's gonna make, let me make this one go away. Okay. And again, so you know, we talked about how you know I've, I've been lucky enough to hit a lot of things in my career. So where's that window? Do you feel that there was a point in your career uh, where your drawing really jumped? You know, I, drawing does not come that easily for me. I can draw well, but I have to work really hard at it. Um, so I look back, I think I draw better and easier now than I did when I first started. But recently, because we're all sequestered at home, I've been going through a lot of my old artwork and curating it. Mm -hmm. And I found some scenes from Little Mermaid like this one, and I'm like, Wow, that was drawn really well. I was like on my game. But if I think back, I was working so hard. Yeah. So here, can you see all this? Yeah, I just, yeah, put this. Yeah, screen yeah, up. yeah. Okay, wow. so, so this is from my website. And while I am primarily an animator director and I supervise, I supervise performances. That's what my specialty is. And then now working on TV from Kim Possible and now back on Scooby, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm also in charge of the story and the overall look. Um, but when I develop shows, and you can see a bunch of things in here that you'll recognize, uh, shows that haven't necessarily got made, um, you know, when, when I was asked to come on and develop them, I'll do a lot of drawings. And some of them I'll have colored by other people. Sometimes they'll be a little more finished, you know, um, and, it, but it's, and I'll draw stuff that's maybe a little outside my wheelhouse, but it's... Um, it's kind of a fun way to stretch. So I love the I've, Kirby mummy, the Kirby mummy. Of yeah, rip, you recognize that right away. Of course, I ripped <laughs> off that cover. I love that cover as a kid. Um, but I did some developing with Mark and Bob on a DuckTales take a few years ago. And this was sort of my take on the Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Yeah, I love, and, the brim, I love the brims on their hats. Yeah, yeah I wanted to make them a little more aggressive. Like there's the dopey guy on the right who's the naive guy. And then I wanted... You know, I can't remember which one was which now, but um, one one guy to be a little more of a, a little more of a jerk, and then one guy to be a little more thoughtful, so that mm -hmm. they weren't the same character in three different bodies. Right. And then uh, Alan Bodner, who's a art director friend of mine, we've worked together quite a bit. 
he colored all these for me. I did roughs and then he sort of took them to the next level. But again, it was to prove I wanted them to be like little, you know, little um, little diehards in the making. <laughs> <laughs> you know, super athletic. Oh, that's great. And all this stuff was just to kind of give a sense of what, you know, our take would be on these characters. And yeah, and here's the Kirby mummy. Um, <laughs> I did. It was just so great. Um, you know, uh, I just those Kirby monster comics were just a staple of me uh, growing up. So this this series, I was also asked to do a develop a take on a kid friendly version of Spider Man several years ago, sort of a more cartoony version. Unfortunately, mm. it didn't um, it didn't go, but this was sort of uh, sort of my take on the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, those those are. I think he really he really uh, uh, works well when you make him more cartoony. I mean, I love that old '60s cartoon, mm -hmm. which had like really wildly erratic animation on it. I mean, you had yeah <laughs> all those great all those great scenes of like him flipping around on the flagpole and sticking on the wall yeah. and he really felt like he had weight and then there's those other ones where you could tell like later on you're like when boxy took over they had like no money you know <laughs> yeah. and 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 he just stood around a lot more well you know hal ambro who was an old disney animator he animated a lot of those stock shots he animated the stock swinging through the city shot that really cool one right right so he probably did mm -hmm. those other ones as well then I got to draw a cartoony Hulk, which was always fun. <laughs> oh, you know, one thing I was sort of, uh, I was looking through some old comics and there was an Alex Toth, I gotta forget what it was, but he drew a kid and the kid was on a skateboard and the kid had his arm bent around the back of his head like this. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so cool. And I'm like, I'm gonna put that in a Spider-Man pose. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, that's great. Because yeah, yeah. he's obviously like triple jointed. He can like move his arm. Yeah. And I remember it's funny you say because remember John Dykstra, who did the effects on the first Spider-Man film, said in order for him to walk up the wall, they had to basically break his pelvis to make his legs go out to do that. Because a mm -hmm. a, a real human can't put his legs out like in that. Ditko mm. Romita pose. Your your that's your, right. Your legs won't splay out that far. Yeah, yeah. That's why that uh, that show that we watched in the late seventies just just looked really lame whenever he was trying to crawl. Yeah. You know? uh, although I watched it, it's cool. But here's yeah, he an always... example. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No. Well, I was going to say you were you were talking earlier about the weight and the you know the animation of a character. Like if you look at these four poses at the top here, obviously it's not animation. But you have a push off, you have a stretch, and you have a landing, and then another push off. Yeah. If you give these poses to an animator, they'll totally know what to do with it, mm -hmm. um, and and it'll come out much better than if you just did say say the first pose, and then you just had him and say the last pose, and he turned into a dinosaur. They would just do a generic stock run, and it would somehow just sort of change. But mm -hmm. having the character jump and then land on the landing on the squash, having his mm -hmm. legs sort of go. Bleh! And then mm -hmm. on the push off, you know, have the tail shoot out. Yeah, that that would give it a little more of that sort of you know, Disney oomph. I re I remember um um talking to you about um uh, I know on shows they used to have layout 
Um, and then sometimes you would do, I mean, especially like on shows like Ren and Stimpy, where they had all those crazy expressions. So you you have a model sheet, and then if you send the stuff overseas and you get this really weird drawing, it's just cool. They go, well, that's obviously a bad drawing, and they push right. it towards the model. Um, and I know even on Samurai Jack and some things they would do they would do layout. So do you do any layout or is it like the drawing you did of Shaggy to give them an idea how far to push them up? You know, it's it's um go away. Let's see. Sorry for that. No. Um you well we do a little bit we we actually have a hard time, you know. You know, overseas, I think like here, since so much done, is done in Flash, and a lot of young animators now believe that drawing is the designer's job, and their job as the animators is to move things around. So we're still a traditional show. So drawing is is uh, getting the characters to be drawn in an extreme way on model is hard. I think with Brenda with Stimpy, it was probably a little bit easier, because um, similarly in Kim Possible, there are some boards like Troy Armadas or... or a bullet that I would say, even if they look a little off model, just use these poses. Don't put it on model. Do it exactly like this. And I think when Stimpy is so extreme that it would go the same way. Um, but uh, our boards, I think, you know, some were on model, some weren't on model. So it was, we're putting a lot more responsibility in the overseas animators' hands, which, you know, is uh, not great, but it's, it's, it's now, have uh, you just been the way it goes. Were you overseas at all to on Scooby? I always Not find that interesting. Like, there's this whole, for me, like invisible part of the thing because we design it, write it, board it, everything here. Then it goes off to some foreign land, and yeah. people work on it, and then it comes back. And like sometimes it would look really good, and sometimes it would be like, "Whoa, what is that going on there?" Yeah, um, yeah, and it's sort of like a, you know, a cargo ship. When you get see something that comes back and it looks really terrible. You know, there's like a, another mile of it coming, <laughs> and and uh, it's a, it's a little tough. So Warner Brothers uh, has not sent me to Korea or, or uh, the Philippines for the show. When I was at Disney and Kim Possible, I went a couple of times, but it's tough. I meet with them. I've talked to them on the phone, um, and sometimes you get um, a better crew. Sometimes you get a, a crew that's not quite as strong, and you know, it's 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 tough. Do you have any, this is something I've never heard anyone really talk about, but I've always personally been very curious about it. Like, what is there, because we know how stuff is produced here and Disney does stuff and everything, uh, how TV shows are done here. But what is like, is there a school in, South, in, in Seoul that trains young people to become animators? Because, you know, they've been doing this for a long time now, animating yeah. the bulk of stuff that we do here. So you would think they'd be getting better and better, and you know, eventually you'll have a, you'll have a, you know, A level people there that you have, you know, you have a Glenn Keane of South Korea, you know. Right. Um, well, I think you, I think you do for sure. The, I know Rough Draft for sure has they actually have schools within their studio to train people, and they do pretty good work. The uh, really good work. And sometimes you'll get stuff. I'll get stuff. I'll get shots. And you go, damn, that's a nice shot. I'd, I'd be hard pressed to animate a shot that well. But then you get other people that it's clear they don't have a lot of schooling. They can kind of draw, you know, and they just, but they don't understand the slow ins and slow outs or, or anything else. 
Hey, I'm just scrubbing through some of this stuff. It's just stop me on any of it if you think anything's worth talking about. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, I did a little work on a Rocketeer take years ago as well. So my so, little so was, Rocketeer. So was this something they asked you to pitch or something that you decided you wanted to pitch yourself? No, they contacted me and they wanted just me to, to supply my take on the Rocketeer. And they, they had a concept that it was going to be, you know, the granddaughter of the Rocketeer who finds the jacket and the helmet. That's why it's like an adult-sized helmet. And uh, so they kind of just gave me that concept. And I just, um, you know, just started doing drawings. And uh, I, I didn't really talk much about story. I just played with you know, proportions and, and body types and attitudes. Chris, how many... You know, aren't they doing something with it? Yeah, yeah, it's getting made yeah. now. I, I, I don't know if it's on TV yet, but... Um, but they are. They're, they're doing. I think it's a little CGI show now. Chris, oh, okay. Chris, yep. for for the people who are listening, who have aspirations of getting into the business, or um, even having higher goals as to like, I want to direct, um, and just going through kind of like your files here of things that were really great pitches, but just never got made. How would you go about telling somebody about tempering their loss versus win record? Like, cause not, not everything you do happens. Right. So how do you keep? Moving? Sure. Well, if you, if you, there are screenwriters that have had very successful careers in Hollywood and not, not had a single script produced. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so look, this, I had, I got to draw Spider-Man and the Hulk for a few weeks. That was really fun. Mm -hmm. They liked my drawings. They were happy with what I did. The, mm -hmm. the, the interaction between us was fine. They just chose to go in a different direction. So, uh, so I, I don't know. I think you, you just got to have a thick skin and, and it's, and just, and if they, someone doesn't respond to a pitch of concept of yours, it could be a hundred reasons. You know, that have nothing to do with how good it is. They could be doing something like it. Maybe just subjectively they don't like it or subjectively they don't like it. Mm -hmm. um, or they wanted to go more adult. And um, so, so I guess the tough part is, I think, when you're doing this type of development work. And again, I got paid for this. There's not a lot of money in doing development work. And I always put more into it because, like all of us, you, know, you always want to put your best foot forward. Mm -hmm. um, so that can get a little more exhausting. I think it's harder to do development, you know, because it's like you're sprinting constantly. Yeah. Um, but um, then so this, with, though this this those characters you were just showing was that part of the the Rocketeer? Uh, no, that was actually part of a different uh, pitch for a project for Disney. Uh, there were some uh, just ancillary characters, but this was an uh, early piece I did for Scooby. I wanted to be a little more comic booky with it, and Batman has always appeared in Scooby. So, uh, Mike and I talk a lot about what the young people are into, and we both seem to come across students who want to get into character design. Yeah, right. Um, do you have any uh, tips for somebody who wants to get into the business just on the strength of character design or world building? Yeah, I think character design, you know, there's a lot of great people out there, but I think the ones, the, the, the quality that I have a hard time finding, again, are people that know how to move a character around. Mm. Um, like I, I want to see something that somebody's going to be able to squash a stretch or, or bend. 
you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I saw some character designs for a, a creature that he was essentially a ball. Well, you can't turn a ball because no matter how you turn it, it's still a ball. Mm-hmm. You know, the ball's got to have a straight on one side and a round on the other. But then when the character bends forward, the, the chest has to go flat and then the back can be round. You just have to understand how to play with those shapes. Mm-hmm. And also to be versatile. You know, there's um, at a, a character designer, and, he, and the guy worked super hard and he did a good job for me, but his natural tendency was to keep doing these Animaniac-style humans. And it's, it was hard, mm-hmm. you know, just to kind of keep him into that sort of Scooby comic book realism where the more cartoony characters are the Scooby gang, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think, you know, ideally, I would have somebody go, oh, I know that. You know, that's a more realistic, you know, comic book proportion skeleton in there. It doesn't have the big, you know, the tick jaw that sticks out or <laughs> any of those big goofy things. Eyes and mouths are generally kind of small. Yeah. Um, so I think to be versatile, number one, and really know how to move a character. And you look at comics, you look at somebody like John Buscema. It's like, man, that guy, you know, he could be a phenomenal animator. He can yeah. But then you look at other people and all they can do is pose a character in the statue pose. Right. You know, and they can do sort of a half a dozen stock running or throwing a punch poses that they've learned by looking at other comics, but they really can't draw or move a character around. Mm. Yeah, the characters, a lot of the, the 90s stuff had no weight. Yeah, there's a Hercules rough of mine. <laughs> That's great. Did you work on Hercules? I did. Uh, I. I uh, did the river god, Nessus here. Okay. He was my character, but I did Hercules in one scene where they interacted together. And that was sort of a very, uh, it was a kind of a cool, but also sort of a bizarre style in a way. Yeah, you know? this yeah. was uh, Ronald Searle. Not Ronald Searle. Yeah. Um, no, who, uh, not Searle. Shoot, I'm blanking on his name. Um, he did, um, you know, Pink Floyd, the designer. Yeah, yeah. Such a nice man. Yeah. Um, I, I'm so embarrassed. I can't remember. So now, Gerald, when you Gerald would, Scarf. Gerald Scarf. So when you would work on that, um, did you practice like drawing the guy before you would animate him to kind of get the feel of like how he was put together? Yeah, I kind of draw the basic proportions. There was a rough design of it, and then I actually would would invite Gerald to come into my office and say, "Would you just? I'm not asking you to animate it, but would you just draw what he's what he should really look like in this pose?" And then he would do a rough drawing over my drawing and then he'd go away. And then I would sort of work off that and adjust all my animation he, around. Here, it. I've got a big stack of paper. Can you clean this all up? I'll be back uh, tomorrow. <laughs> That's right. Well, That's right. Tracy is great. Yeah. Here was a pitch piece. A friend of mine was pitching a show and he asked me to do this drawing for him. Um, this was a that pitch I did that, for Mighty Mouse. Go I ahead. remember that. I remember yeah, that. I, remember. I was just thinking like, um, Dick Tracy would be kind of a very odd show now, you know. One of the yeah. things, one of the things I I find interesting is when you talk to a fifteen year old, what do they know? Like what like what we knew as fifteen year olds was broader because our parents and the older generation kind of controlled everything. Yeah, right. And everybody watched. Oh, uh, he was on a roll too. But now, oh, there you go. Watched. People watch their everything, but yeah. it's so split up. So it's like it's interesting. Like some kids would know who Popeye is, and other kids would have like no idea, right? 
Or yeah. like they might know who Kelvin and Hobbes is because their uncle had a book. Yeah. But then nobody else would know any of those characters. And it's it's so it's like you think like, oh, because I know that they have been trying to do things like with the Phantom or Betty Boop or, you know, King Features tries to do things like with Popeye. And I was actually surprised because I asked at the last class of the year, some of the kids actually knew who Popeye was, which I was actually surprised because it's like, where would you see Popeye now? If I mean, you didn't right. read the comics, you it's like you don't see him on, on TV because when yeah. I was a kid, you would come home and like every day at three, there was Popeye. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that's right. You know, the, and, and, it, and the Dick Tracy thing. Well, let me go back. That's to a good drawings. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. That was, when uh, in editorial on Blazing Samurai, I'd always draw Batman. Uh, <laughs> so, but what I thought would be fun here is like, right, nobody knows Dick Tracy. Who knows? Who cares? He's got a yellow coat, which kind of makes him stand out in comic booky. But I thought, well, what if like all those sort of traditional villains were just a little more cartoony and like gang members, mm -hmm. you know, just like mutant gang members? That's a fun concept. A straight-laced cop and a bunch of mutant gang members. <laughs> and uh, so that was kind of the take. Um, but again, this wasn't my pitch. I was just, I just did the drawing for this. But you know, early on, Dick Tracy, I remember like, they, I, they hired remember you my, to come in, to come in and like, here's the idea, see what you can do with it. No, no, it was a friend of mine was pitching it, Daryl Sitters from Renegade. And he just asked me, uh, I was in between projects and he just asked me if he could hire me and to, to do this piece of artwork. And he had a very rough thumbnail of this concept. Um, and just asked me to draw it. And I said, yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, but the, there was a, but I remember in junior high, they had a big thick book about the Dick Tracy strips. And uh, I remember they blasted their way in some place where the bad guys were. And there's all this sort of comic booky gas that's, you know, hovering over through the panel. And he yeah. said, where'd they go? And Tracy said, you're breathing them. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> wow it made such an impact on my 14 year old self it's like i want to animate that dick tracy <laughs> just well you know what the thing i always liked about dick tracy and you can see how that those crazy characters that's what was great about batman is he had all those great yeah. villains yeah. and 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 spider-man too yeah, all those really, you know, like flat top and you know yeah. these guys with weird heads and stuff. Yeah, well, the, and Doc Ock is just such a weird concept that you know that fits right in there. And the Vulture, it's like ninety years old yeah. and he's flying around robbing <laughs> banks and stuff. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I mean, those, the, do you feel when you're pitching, when you're pitching stuff like that? Do you, if you were going to do the Spider-Man thing, you want to try to go in that direction with that kind of stuff? Um, well, because it, I'm lucky enough that I can get interested in, in pretty much anything. I mean, I love, like, you know, uh, just violent adult stuff like Primal. I think that's great. You know, I also love, like, super charming young stuff. I love, like I told you at the beginning of this uh, the podcast, the, of uh, doing Scooby-Doo and entertaining my eight-year-old self. So for me, it's like, well, what's the, what's the project? You know, what, what's our goal? So developing Spider-Man, if they say, we want to do like a kid-friendly Spider-Man, I immediately go to, oh, my God, I remember the very first Spider-Man comic book I got. I was a little a little too hard for me to read, but my mom would read it to me. And and uh, it's like, I totally get the appeal of these characters to uh, a young, a really young kid. So I sort of approached my designs with that in mind. Right. Right. 
So do you have any uh, any other advice you might pass along to any young? Because I mean, like like Jamar said, I would say that almost nobody wants to do comics. Yeah. To be a character designer because you know you just sit around just drawing cool fun people all day you know because that's like the easiest job in the world right it's just to sit there and, and i tried to, to to sort of say that like there's not like 400 character designers working in hollywood it's kind of a pretty hard competition right yeah and i think that there are a lot of people that can draw really well that just aren't right for a show so I think the, those guys that are just constantly working, they're the ones that can uh, jump back and forth between, say, uh, you know, Bruce Timm's superhero show, and then they can go a little more cartoony like these monkey designs here. Mm. You know, but you got to be able to listen to your director and go, what's the tone of the show? Because if, if you're, because I've, I've hired people and I've had to let people go who are great people and they could draw their ass, draw their rings around me, but they couldn't, Get the style of what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. So I think you really need to you need to be able to, if you want. I mean, look, you, you, if you just do one thing and then say, "Well, I want to do this or I want to do nothing," then that's 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 a great choice to make. It's a personal choice. But um, if you want to be, you know, working all the time, you got to be able to, you know, at least some of the time, you know, be versatile enough to to do what other people want mm. you know, to be to be that artistic chameleon right 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 i mean i guess some people are like jack davis and that's just what you're just jack davis and people come to you because you're jack davis you know like his whole career he just was jack davis that's right and you know? you're and you're lucky to have him if you got him <laughs> right you know and right I, I think that's and i think that's right but that's what i'd say because i think you know, the, they say that the hardest part of making a show is getting everyone to make the same show. <laughs> so, like, I would love nothing better than just to hand off an assignment and be able to, you know, go home at five o'clock. But, you know, you got to, it's sort of like, you know, you're, you're constantly there saying, oh, this, I think we got a little too cartoony here. or We went a little too angular Batman with this, but, you know, round it out again, you know, make it a little squishier. I'm always giving, either pushing one way or pulling something back just to kind of keep it in our lane. Mm -hmm. So I think- Is there a project that you miss? Is there a project that you that you would go back to today that you- Oh, I'd go back to do over again. I'd go back to Kim Possible in a second. Uh, Kim Possible was like a brilliant, fun experience. Uh, Alvin too, working with Betty Thomas was crazy fun. I remember walking across the back lot at Fox with uh, a friend of mine and, uh, and I just, said, wouldn't it be great if just Alvin too was our jobs? <laughs> <laughs> Did you, were you a fan of the Alvin TV show as a kid? Do you remember yeah, that? I barely remember it. I was, I was pretty young at the time, but I do remember it for sure. And I remember the song at Christmas time. Um, right. Right. So uh, I guess we should probably uh, wrap it up here, but it's been, it's well. I mean, we can talk forever because no. We I was going to say we should just like, go to dinner and like carry this through till midnight. <laughs> but, uh, we can't do that. Um, but I I really want to uh, thank you for coming on. And if, if there's any other little gems you'd like to pass on to the younger folks, re, uh, you know, watching. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted we wanted to start doing the video thing is because animation is a video is a visual medium, and it's great to be able to see these principles that you're talking about in action so yeah i'd say 
be versatile if you're a character designer, be versatile if you just want to be a storyboard artist, and learn film grammar. You know, read books, know how to cut. You know, like I, I use Will Eisner's book, Comics and Sequential Art, uh, because he talks about, you know, not so much comics aren't film grammar, but he does talk about what is a worm's eye view? What does that communicate objectively? Why do you want to put the camera on the second floor looking down at someone? You know, that's sort of a rookie TV animation shot just so they could put everything in one shot as an establishing. But, mm -hmm. but he's saying, no, that's what you use. And Hitchcock did this in The Birds. That's where you pull yourself out of the action and you give people like a little three-second rest. You know, say, you're safe up here. You can watch everything happen and take a breath. Um, but I, I just find a lot of people do the cool shot where they yeah. put the camera on the ground to look up someone's nose just because yeah. it's dynamic. It's like, well, it's not supposed to be a dynamic shot. It's supposed to be like this shot. You know, uh, so I'd right. say that, you know, film grammar, just like you learn grammar to write, you should learn film grammar. That's all I got. Great. That's all the advice I got. Wow. Okay. No magic well, pencils. No, like, you know, <laughs> no, you got a lopsided drawing. Just turn it over. You'll see all the lopsidedness and you can fix it there. Then turn it back. I do that a lot. Like I said, I just struggle just as much with my drawing today. I think it's, oh, well, not just as much, but it becomes a little easier, but I still do all those tricks. I know that's, when I've made that, a bad I, drawing. That's 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 really important because I think one of the things is that when a younger artist sees an older artist, they think, oh, it's so easy for you. It's just like yeah. magic. You just it's like no, it's like every day is hard. Yeah, be good that's right. to do to be good is hard. It's never yeah. easy. Yeah, yeah we've we've talked about this a little bit before and we've done, but you know, um, but I think it's the the, uh, the friends of mine that have always had that little insecurity with their drawing, or to keep pushing, or they still they're still trying to get to the top of the mountain. Uh, they actually draw better now at, at uh, my age, and the ones that I don't know, I have other friends that have kind of uh, fallen off a little bit. And it's like, huh, you drew so much better ten years ago, and is it? And I and I and it's and I would. You know, it's crass to ask, but I'm thinking, did you just realize it was too hard and it's <laughs> too tired, or or do you think you're drawing just as good as he used to? Um, I don't, I don't know what the answer is there, but I, I definitely have seen it in some friends. Oh, great. Well, thanks a lot, Chris. All right. Um, yeah, I miss you guys. Thank awesome. you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Well, when all when all of this is over, and, you gotta come down to Philly and we can go watch another movie together. All right. All right. <laughs> Deal. All right. All thank right. you. Bye, guys. Bye. Right. Bye, Chris. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. And thank you, guys. Well, I guess that's yeah. Yeah, that was uh that was great. It was it was epic, I guess. <laughs> um so we will we will be editing a audio version of this to mm -hmm. go up on uh the pencil to pencil uh dot com site. Um mm -hmm. and uh Again, if you guys have any questions or there's a guest you guys are interested in, uh, please uh, send us your suggestions and send us your feedback. Um, and uh, we will be back here Saturday. That's right. Afternoon, uh, Jamar and I. I might try to wrestle Brett into. He <laughs> was just on a killer deadline finishing off a uh, Wonder Woman project. Uh, for DC that was a tie-in with the movie, but of course now since it's pencils down, uh, I don't know whether that 
project is still going to come out in the same way that it was. But um, but so what are you up to, Jamar? What's what do you got going on? Uh, what's on my plate? So I have some freelance. I'm finishing up. Um, I have a, a couple more rewrites for my Leon to pitch, and also I have a uh, some freelance for a role playing game supplement. That's going to be the next thing on my table. So I'm very excited about that. And I will be working into the wee hours on the Phantom because I got to get to my weekend tomorrow. And then I got to jump right from that to get the uh, next week of the Judge Parker strip in. So I'm actually double dutying right now. I'm working on, did a couple, it was up to five. So. So it's up at five, and I'll be, I'm sure I won't go to bed before at five tonight. So when you're trying to gain a little bit of time, uh, you just you gotta be able to burn the midnight oil in this job. You got to. And you're you're the you're the world champion. This <laughs> <laughs> is by, by default now. You know, I don't I don't want the editor calling me on the phone going, Where the hell are my strips? No, that's the worst, man. But you know, you're you're the the true shining uh definition of what a professional I'm is shining just because i'm sweating right? <laughs> um, so on our way out i want to do one more plug for our sponsor uh pencil pencil podcast podcast is sponsored by clip studio paint uh you can uh see them on graphicsly.com and also i've been saying this for what three weeks now we're going to do a, a giveaway uh, so, but you have to be um, a follower and liker of our Facebook group page, and I'm not going to say anything else about it. If you lost, that's not my problem. But you got to be in it to win it, right? Oh, we'll just keep getting more copies for ourselves. I have 25 free copies. Oh well, I guess you get all the Clip Studio. <laughs> you get Clip right. Studio. <laughs> you get Clip Studio. <laughs> But yeah, um, and I hope that everybody enjoys what we're doing here. I hope I think you know by now that this is like a real thing. I think I was thinking about this, Mike, that there may be people who are like, oh, well, these guys just went live on Facebook. But wow, what's with all the graphics? Like this is a real podcast. And we're bringing it to you guys, our fans and friends on Facebook. And then it gets chopped into something else and put into another part of our brand. So, you know, this is a great opportunity to get to talk to the, our great friends and guests and get involved. So don't be shy, guys. Yeah, yeah. I always say it's, it's, it's dumb to not ask a question, but usually no question is dumb. What I usually find is people are afraid. They're afraid to ask an artist, you know. They're, they're, the question's right there. Mm -hmm. You really want to ask it. And then, like... As soon as the opportunity or the event or the con or whatever is over, they go, "Oh man, I should have <laughs> asked so and so that thing about the what whatever." And right. then it's like, "Well, you should have. You should ask that that person." You know, I I I I really, I mean, the reason why we're doing that is because we love this, mm -hmm. we love what we do, and we also want to share it. We want to share our knowledge, share our love. That's why I was so glad to be able to have Chris come on. Mm -hmm. uh, here's a guy who's been doing it a long time and done a lot of different things. Yeah. And is a great, uh, a great example of a person who moved around a lot. And you could see he really loves his career. He really loves what he's doing. And that's what we all want to do. We want to be able to work and do things 
that we really enjoy. That's why you you were you were an artist. But you know, he had a I think a lot of really good uh, information uh, for mm -hmm. people to go back and to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. That this was a this was a, a chef's kiss. <laughs> it was it was a great episode. Um, so all right, well let's let's take it home. Thank you guys so much. Um, look for us again on Saturday. I'll be putting up a uh, a, a blast about our Saturday live, and um, we'll see you in the funny pages. Mike, where can I find you online? You can find me on uh, Facebook right here. You mm -hmm. can find me at Draw Manly on Instagram. Uh, you can follow me also on uh, drawman.blogspot. That's my blog, which has tons and tons and tons going all the way back to like 2005. All kinds of yeah, all kinds. That's, all kind that's of a resource. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty easy. I'm, if you want to find me, you can find me. I'm pretty easy, I'm pretty easy to find. And uh, the address of your house is also tattooed on my stomach. Oh, good. <laughs> that, 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 unfortunately, you can also find on the internet. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm Jamar Nicholas. You can find me on Twitter at Jamar Nicholas. Instagram, Jamar.Nicholas, right here on Facebook at several of my places. And also at JamarNicholas.com. All right, guys. Thanks so much. You guys have a great night. Wash your hands and don't be racist. <laughs> <laughs> cool.